0: You're listening to the Phillies Nation Podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Phillies Nation Podcast. I am your host, Ty Daubert, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Johnny Heller. What's going on, man?
0: Nothing much. It's kind of weird recording like a normal episode. We've done two emergency podcasts or... Bonus episodes in the past few days, so back to back to the basics.
1: Yeah, yeah. there's there's no exciting Andrew Knapp news, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, we well, we do have we do have an interesting episode nonetheless. We actually have a guest for you guys on this episode, and we're going to introduce him now. Uh, Matt Noskow, He was an employee in the Phillies player development uh, department this past season as well. As a worker at Sports Info Solutions, uh, Matt, we'd like to welcome you on. How's it going?
2: Hey, guys. How's it going? Ty, Johnny. Ty, we know we hung out a little bit last year in Reading, and Johnny, it's uh, good to finally talk to you a little bit here.
1: Yeah, you too, man. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So, so Matt, why don't you let everybody know exactly what you did um, for both the Phillies and for Sports Info Solutions real quick?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, last year um, was my third season at uh, Sports Info Solutions in the baseball department. Um, I was a video um, video scout associate, called VSA for short. Um, so, my first year I started there, I was an intern, video intern, um, just basically crunched a lot of video, hundreds of hours, um, watched everything from majors, minors, um, just we, they have like a proprietary software there at uh, BIS SIS um, that captures all aspects of the game. Um, as you guys know, and hopefully some of your audience members know about um, some of the main components that BIS collects in terms of like DRS, if you're ever on baseball reference, and um, they put a lot of uh, statistics out there that fan graphs and stuff use. Um, so if you ever see their logo at the bottom of fan page, a lot of the data comes from them. And then I you know, moved up into a associate role, so I did a lot of the same things, and I just helped um, go through some of the first-year intern work, kind of just quality control check and stuff like that. And then this past year, um, like you mentioned, I worked for the Phillies in the player development department as a TrackMan operator. Um, so Ty saw me a lot of games in the press box, um, just using the TrackMan system, collecting data from all the pitchers uh, home for all the home games in Reading, and uh, just putting all that information in the system for the player development department, the coaching staff, and all them to use uh, to help uh, help the pitchers out and um, evaluate them and go forward from there. So that's kind of a little background on my experience in the baseball industry here.
1: Yeah, so whenever De- – Derek Hall was usually the guy for Redding this season that hit absolute tanks. So when yeah. Derek Hall would hit one over – the Reading Eagle sign in right field, in uh, in First Energy Stadium, I would, I and the other reporters that would that would be in Reading, uh, Matt was the guy we'd hound immediately to let us know what the distance was so we could tweet it out.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty funny. It was like between you and um, typically Mike Drago who was reporting for the Reading Eagle um, would always kind of just look my way like, kind of shortly thereafter, and if hopefully the TrackMan system was able to pick it up, you know they would just asked for what the you know, the you know batted ball speed was or how how what the estimated distance was or what we got on it cuz uh, as you mentioned Derek Hall hit a couple hit multiple bombs especially over that right field fence and out um he hit one so far i think it landed in the street there i forget what the road was um it, it actually hit if it would have gone further if it didn't hit the power lines um right by, right outside the stadium but yeah he he's got some massive power and it was always a show when you could get some numbers from him
1: I think now we're going to get into the main reason that we're having Matt on this podcast today. Uh, the winter meetings are coming up. I believe that they start this upcoming Sunday um, mm-hmm. in San Diego, and Matt will be attending the winter meetings, and he's he's been at the last few winter meetings. So, Matt, uh, why don't you tell us what uh, winter meetings you've been at before and what you kind of expect to get out of this one based on your experiences
2: yeah so um I've been going to the winter meetings since I think 2016 was my first time going it's actually kind of finding out about it and um I had graduated college in 2016 so I was looking to get into the baseball industry and I you know heard that you got to go to the winter meetings to kind of break in and interview and Um, that's where you can get in front of a bunch of people who work in front of the front office and whatnot. So, um, I went out there in 2016, which was in uh, Maryland or close to DC at National Harbor. And, um, like I said, then, then the following year was in Florida and then last year was in Vegas and this year was in San Diego. Um, but yeah, flying out there, um, interviewing for teams. So I've been, um, had a couple of different interviews. I've been trying to focus on, um, baseball ops and player development jobs. And I've had a lot more interviews in terms of uh, player development jobs. So have a couple of scheduled interviews out there, had a couple of phone interviews already. Um, a lot of people in my shoes, um, guys that I worked with at BIS and other people who've worked at other companies like BIS or have worked in, in the industry. It's, there's a high, it's a high turnover rate and you constantly have to be um, getting in front of people, networking and um, trying to go out there and put your best foot forward. And, you know, interview with these teams to, you know, travel with their minor league affiliates for the year and working for them and, you know, recording their video and helping their coaching staff and, um, helping their players out. So that's pretty much what I'm going out there to do is interview, meet up with some people that I obviously have worked with in the industry and, um, some people and guys that I've worked with at BIS and other people I've met throughout my time, uh, working in baseball. Okay.
1: So, so what do you, um, what would you say the, uh, Experiences like for a, a job seeker like you um, have, have been in the past and, uh, and will be as well this year uh, as compared to a player uh, or an agent that are looking to discuss making a deal with a team or perhaps teams working with other teams to make a big trade as this is kind of the big, uh, one of the bigger moments of the offseason and free agency.
2: Right. Yeah. So I would like to say there's like two, almost like two different types of job seekers. Um, if you're like me, who's looking to work in player development and, and baseball ops, you kind of have like a, uh, you're kind of on your own mentality. It's um, you're, you're doing a lot of reaching out to people in the organization. You're um, who might be, you know, able to talk to you about the you know hiring process and you're not going to like their um, human resources department, the typically baseball ops and, um player development kind of have their own internal hiring processes and you're trying to get in front of those individuals and then you have um going on there the other part of the job secrets which go through the um typically go through the uh, what they call the pbeo um, professional baseball employment opportunities job fair uh, i did that my first year because so again i didn't really know what was going on and um, a lot of those are for sales jobs marketing um different like crew um, that goes along. Like it can be for minor league baseball, major league baseball, but primarily minor league um, for people who are just trying to break into the industry, get some experience um, and learn about the game from that perspective. So um, for, so there there's a job fair that goes on. There's They have a whole um, sort of thing that they do process they go through. But then for me, it's more like the past like month and a half or so since the end of the season, I've been reaching out to people in the organizations um, looking for either just information about, their positions. Uh, if I'm qualified for it, then if I am, they'll send me some information, whether or not they're hiring or not, I will fill out a questionnaire or they'll give me a call over the phone and we'll do a little phone interview. And then if they'll have time, they'll schedule me to meet in during the winter meetings. But, um, you preferably, you know, you want to get meetings set up before you go out there because, you know, just that way you have like a kind of a time schedule, but there's, you know, obviously times when you're, uh, can be sitting around a lot waiting for a phone call, waiting for an email to meet up and, You kind of have to be on your toes. Um, I I was telling guys that worked at um, our first-year intern group this past year uh, at SIS that you got to be in your suit and ready to go. They could call you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They could call you at 8 o'clock at night because a lot of these teams, they have meetings and stuff while they're out there. So you're kind of at the mercy of the um, employer in this sort of sense. And you have to just do your best to work around their schedule. And you have to realize that you're not out there for a vacation. You're out there for – but um, you're out there to interview and try to get yourself a job. So there's a lot of, I would say it's high stress combined with a lot of um, waiting around and kind of like just making sure you're not, you're ready to roll at any specific point Um, compared to like an agent and the um, uh, the teams and stuff like that. You're going to have a lot of teams that are obviously having meetings out there. Agents are trying to lobby for their players, um, start like uh, some preliminary talks with different teams and, Kind of answer some media related questions so uh you're going to see a lot of you know contingents of um, front office staff kind of running around like crunching numbers probably up in their suites that they have up in their rooms and then you know they're walking if they're walking down on like the hotel lobby floor or convention center floor they're primarily there to like go to a different meeting or to meet the media for some sort of questions in the media area and um, so there, there's, they have their own kind of set of stuff and then the job seekers and all that, they're kind of working in a different side. Um, but everyone's kind of in the same, like uh, half mile <laughs> radius of like, so there's just so much baseball going on in terms of just people hiring people looking to make multimillion dollar deals. And, you know, you're just, you're all in the thick of it in one general location, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, so you know we were wondering just like what, what is it like like are you paying attention obviously you're there you're interviewing and stuff but are you paying attention to you know what's happening with players like is there a certain buzz when a big deal goes down or, or anything like that
2: yeah uh, yeah of course I'm so like I'm on my phone and on Twitter pretty much 90% of the time I'm there and the only time I'm not is when I'm in an interview um I'm I'm keeping track of between like my email and my and text and phone calls, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm just checking MLB trade rumors. And I I have a horde on Rosenthal, um, Passon, all the guys that are out there. Hayman, out there breaking news, you know. And it's funny because not only do you you are you on your phone paying attention to that, you you're literally seeing them and the MLB Network sets, the ESPN sets. You're you're seeing them. You're walking by them. You see them on their phones, getting you know hitting up their sources and things like that. And I guess the first thing for me that I kind of, like, that I experienced with it, which kind of gave me, like, a, it was a, such a cool thing to be a part of, was, was my first meetings, actually, in 2016. I was there when the um, Chris Sale trade uh, broke for the Red Sox and the White Sox, and I was standing in the lobby right near the MLB Network set, and, like, everyone starts, like, looking at their phones, and you, hear, you start hearing the buzz, like, Chris Sale got traded, Chris Sale got traded, and you're, everyone, everyone's, like, looking down and looking for, looking at Ken Rosenthal's page, and then you look over to your left, and he's, on his phone tweeting out like a madman. And then he, then he's going on the MLB network set. They're like prepping him to get ready, like doing his makeup real quick. And then the camera goes up and he's like, he's like, folks, like, you know, Chris Sale was just traded and everyone's right there. Like, you have all the Red Sox fans cheering and everyone's around there. So people are definitely cognizant. I'm definitely cognizant and as myself, too, or, or everyone's really paying attention to the moves that are being made and um, everything that's going on as well as, like, trying to focus on, you know, obviously, like, nailing a down job and um, with the team for the upcoming season.
1: Yeah, so um, th- this came out from Jeff Passan yesterday. Um, we're recording on Tuesday night, so he said this on Monday, I believe. Teams and agents believe the free agent relief market is about to start moving. Aside from the early moves by Atlanta with Will Smith and Chris Martin, as well as San Diego, with Drew Pomerans, it has been pretty frozen. The winter meetings could be where relievers find homes. Do you agree with that? And um, how do you think that this winter meetings could go, as opposed to some of the ones you've you've been to in the uh, in the past?
2: Yeah. So, uh, so reading the quote, obviously, I think like you start to see some, you know, obviously a little bit of action on the free agency front, which is good because last year it really. You know, you signed a couple of mid-tier guys first, and then it was really, really slow. Um, you yeah, last year was probably, for being in Vegas, everyone was wanting something big to happen, obviously with the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sweepstakes, but they really didn't even, they were just there just to talk, kind of shop with the agents. They didn't even start meeting with each other in person until, like, after the meetings. And, um, you know, it... It, I'm hoping this year, and we've already seen a couple moves, you know, bigger moves, including just, like, most recently with the um, Mike is signing uh, with Cincinnati. I think there's teams that are ready to spend now this year than they weren't doing last year. They were kind of holding off a year. Um, so I think that there's going to be a little bit more action in the market. I don't know that necessarily it's going to be, like, everyone's, like, flying off the shelf here, but I think that there's going to be definitely some things going on Um one of the big things I, I have a feeling is that, you know, because, again, like I said, everyone's so close and this is a, a, a time when everyone's kind of together, you're going to see a number of teams starting to talk. You know, they probably kicked around the ideas of trades and maybe some initial terms with agents, but um, I think some of more, like you're going to start seeing maybe the frameworks of some deals being made um, in terms of trade. Uh, you could potentially see some of the, uh, second tier free agents I would call like your D.D. Gregorius, your Zach Wheelers potentially the markets heat up and a signing potentially be made but guys like uh, Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole, Anthony, Randon, Anthony Rendon, I'm sorry um, I don't know that they're going to sign at the meetings um, they they probably have, they probably going to do the same thing that the the teams did last year like with Bryce Harper and Machado and kind of have the meet and greets back at the stadium um, and then maybe sign before the holidays but i could definitely see this being a little bit more um action-packed in terms of signings trades hot rumors coming through um i I definitely have a feeling that it's going to be a little bit more quick this year than it was in years past
0: that's definitely good to hear because i hope you're right it's just last year was pretty brutal to sit through um Mm -hmm. and i know me and ty have both just been sitting around waiting for as many baseball moves as possible um Mm -hmm. So one guy you did mention was D.D. Uh, Gregorius as, mm-hmm. as a mid-tier guy who could be signed, um, and he's someone that, that the Phillies have been connected to over the past few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so what kind of things do you think the Phillies are going to do at the winter meetings?
2: Yeah, um, again, this is probably I, – I, I don't want to speak out of term. Like, I, I don't have many – or any inf- inside information anymore. I, you know, after the season, I was kind of. I'm just you know, I'm done. And again, I was working down the mirely. So this is all strictly kind of my opinion based off of again, like what I've read, what I've been reading, and based off research I've done, um, looking into things. But yeah, I think the DD connection is real. I mean, you've been hearing about it, and he's been someone again that you know he meets a lot of the criteria that the front office has been looking for—a guy that. Um, you know, he fills the infield, an infield spot. He can come in, uh, left-handed bat, has some pop. Um, you know, he's a former Girardi guy. You know, there were some quotes today about his character and he'd be a great clubhouse fit for this team. And, um, you know, I I think like that sort of move is kind of, I I won't say a no brainer, but again, it's, it's going to come down to dollars and cents at the end of the day. And if he's looking for a three-year deal and the Phillies are, looking for one and an option depending because of his injury history recently, um, you know, it's going to kind of come to that, you know, but I think um, like you saw last year, they they were willing to overpay a little bit for someone they wanted, like McCutcheon. Um, so that could be something that, you know, could repeat itself, you know, even though I don't know how much you would overpay for DD, but again, that's something that could happen. Um, like, I think, you know, they're probably going to be in on, obviously the starting pitching market, um, to varying degrees, I think you, you, you can read between the lines with the the Boris co- connections with guys like Strasburg and Cole and kind of figure out that they're going to be in on the market a little bit. Um, the Wheeler market, you know, rumors have been, you know, flaring up here that he's already looking at five for – he's already getting offers for five over 100. So, you know, you're already looking at $20 million plus a year um, for him. So it could be one of those situations where um, – the Phillies if they even are interested because I haven't seen anything where they have been linked to him yet it's all been kind of fan speculation guy like um, a lot of the blogs have been pushing for someone like him or um, you know if it, at some point if you're getting to the point where you're looking at um, Zach wheeler for 25 million dollars a year um, like you know why aren't you looking why aren't you looking for Garrett Cole at 30 you know what I mean um, so It could it it could come down to that. Uh, The bullpen, I think they're going to address through some signings and some trades, moving some guys around. Um, Looking at their roster right now, um, and I know we're we're probably talking about the non tender deadline later, but they have their 40 man roster right now. A lot of it is just a bunch of young relief relief arms pitching, um, which they're probably going to have to move around a little bit um, because. I don't think they can roll in the season with the forty man that they have currently constructed, and I think that they can't rely on guys like at the bottom of the forty man to be contributors just yet. Um, I mean, they're being protected, which is good. I like a lot of the guys that they protected, and but I think that if you if they're trying to go for the playoffs this year as they should, um, they're going to have to add some major league quality talent as well as some major league quality depth beyond just the guys that they're protecting right now so I I think they're going to be in on a couple of specific free agents but I think they're also going to be cook, uh, cooking up some some trades potentially that could basically be help the foundation of this team moving forward this next couple of years
1: um I, I have a quick question for both of you uh, yeah. it right now it really feels like Didi is the guy what do you what would you guys guess that he gets if he were to sign with the Phillies
0: um, I, I think at the beginning of the off season, I thought it would either be like one for like 17 or 18 or three for like a mid thirties, high thirties number. But after seeing Mike Moustakis get four years for 64 million, I think it's going to be a lot higher. Maybe like four for, or sorry, three for 45 or 48 feels high for a guy like DD, but, but just seeing how, how these
2: mid tier guys have been getting paid. Uh, so far that's right i guess yeah Johnny I, I'd probably agree with you there i i think i said i had like a i was doing like an early kind of predictions early on in the season he was one of the guys I targeted because thinking that you can move segura over a second i I think he could lock DD up I think um, for probably a three-year deal i think the the idea of getting him on a one-year deal right now especially after what you saw Mustakas get is probably a little bit um, a little bit far-fetched i mean you could do maybe like a one-year overpay, but I don't think they want to do that. And kind of do, you know, I think they would spread the money around. I think three years of forty-five, you know, fifteen million average annual, I think would be probably where I'd be at for a contract. Maybe with like a fourth-year option just to sweeten it, like a you know club option just in case. But you know, you have Stott in the kind of on the minors who could potentially be up quick, and you know, you uh, you know you want to, you want that protection long-term, and he obviously can provide the pop and some good defense that they're at short
1: Yeah, the only the only thing for me there is maybe he takes a higher AAV one year if he believes that his market is down on him based on the injury and he thinks that he can uh put up a really good two thousand twenty and make even more the next offseason.
2: Right. But
1: I'm um, I'm leaning probably closer to what you guys are saying around that three 45 ish range. Right.
2: I think you saw like this past year, you've already seen Grandal and Moustakas who took the, the one year deal and then have cashed in on a big time. Um, and, you know, he could very well do that. Um, and again, I am assuming if, if the Phillies really want him and he really, you know, if he thinks that Philadelphia is a good spot, I think like how they worked out a deal with Bryce Harper, you know, they kicked around a couple different contract um, outlines before they eventually settled on the 13 year deal. Um, so that could be something where they, they might want him at a one year deal. He might want him at a three and you know, they, they work something out, but to, but if they both want to work something out, they'll work something out, which will bring him to the Phillies, which hopefully at this point, it sounds like they're really hot and heavy for him. So,
1: yeah, I would, I'd agree with that, especially with what Girardi said today about him. It felt like, I don't know, maybe Girardi had a good feeling about getting him back, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the Phillies. um, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you guys about, especially you, Matt. So mm-hmm. uh, you saw a lot of Alec Bohm this season, as did I, once he got mm-hmm. called up to AA. Mm-hmm. Matt, uh, GM Matt Klintak, he said today that going forward, they think Boehm is a third baseman and mm-hmm. they think he could have an impact on the major league team, even this upcoming season. And mm-hmm. that's going to impact how they operate this off season uh what what do you think about him playing third base going forward at the major league level and what do you what should they do going forward with him in mind do they try to put him in a trade package do they uh do they move positions with him and try to flip hoskins something like that mm-hmm.
2: uh
1: or what do you what do you think they do going forward uh with alec bohm yeah um I, I've been really high on Alboem since his uh, Wichita
2: State days. I actually was assigned to scouting him a little bit um, for at when I was working at BIS, and um, we were doing like a little college review of some of the top prospects that were going through um, for the draft that year. And um, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think his his defense is, I think, serviceable, if that's the best word. I think he's not going to be, he's not going to win a Gold Glove out there. Um, but what he is going to do is he's going to win a silver slugger. <laughs> he, you know, you're going to trade the uh, offense for the defense in that sort of respect. And I know this kid, he worked. He works extremely hard day in, day out. Um, he came in early to do um, different trainings and stuff like that. He was he always is taking – he takes um, everything serious with in terms of batting practice, um, fielding drills. He's very serious on it um but, but at the end of the day he's not going to be the slickest guy out there. He's a big guy like you've seen in Ty. He's he's 6-5. He's he he, I don't, he just has a he gets down, he, he can get the ball, but he sometimes just making the play is just he just can't always make the play that someone a little bit more nimble could make. But again, I think he's going to make up with it for the bat. Um my comp for him has been and will still be Troy Gloss. Um I think Troy um i have his b ref page pulled up was you know career 38 war um player he played poten- uh, most of his career third base and then eventually moved over to first base towards the end of his career but never was a spectacular fielder but you know he comes up here hitting mid 30s in the home runs um top he was a world series mvp um you know again that's still a lofty kind of expectation for um someone like Bohm. i mean who still hasn't broke the majors yet but i think offensively he's he's by far, he this past year, at reading he was by far the most talented player offensively. Just advanced skills, um, and he just uh, like he just does it all at the plate, opposite field, straightaway like straightaway power. He just has it all. Um, I think he you know he's a foundational piece for this team. Um, again, I but he's not someone again that I would be opposed to trading if the um, if the deal is right. I just don't. I, I look at Reese Hoskins, and um, I thought the world of Reese Hoskins when he first came up. I thought we had found a gem, and he's obviously sputtered a little bit. But I think selling Reese now, you're only selling him with potential to be that 30 to high thirties to 40 home run guy, um, and he, he his other asset is his controllability with his contract. But um, I think other than that, you're selling very low on him, and I don't know that a team would necessarily value that that high. Um, I mean, some, some teams might, but I think that, um, you know, selling him at this point would be kind of, I don't say, I want to say foolish, but you wouldn't be getting as much return for what he could potentially be. Um, if you sell Boom, you better have a, I guess, a plan in place for a corner infield spot that could hit you 30 home runs or where you can make up those 30 home runs at some point down the line. (laughs) So um, I I don't know if that comes in the form of like an Anthony Rendon or um, whatever, but it's, it's a sticky situation they're in because I I don't know if bone can play left field um, where he could potentially be like a, like a Nicholas Castellanos type of deal where he came up as a third baseman was just God awful playing third base. And then they moved him to the corner and just said, just, just try to stay invisible. But we've seen that sort of thing happen before with Reese a couple of years ago and how awful he rated out and just even looked playing left field. Um, but again, maybe that's something they explore down the line. But I think if, if I had my guess, I would say that, um, the Phils look to probably keep a hold of Hoskins and, um, boom in the situation. And then eventually at some point have Bohm compete for the third base spot. Um, Coming up this season, and you know he'll just play a serviceable third base. I think he, like I said, he works hard at it, so he'll give you an, a good effort. But you know he is he is what he is. I, like defensively, offensively, I think sky's the limit, and he's a he's a bat that can really add depth and can potentially change the lineup for the better. So I think he he's someone that will probably stick around, and if they have to move him at some point, that's a that's something that they have to consider in the future. But um, hopefully, at that point, either Hoskins regains some value with under a new hitting coach, or to move Bohm to first, or um, after McCutcheon's contract ends, potentially look to move him to left field to see how we can do shagging some balls out there. So,
1: if if left field Bohm looks anything like left field Hoskins, I know that Johnny would be all about it. <laughs> Listen, I I live to see
0: Reese Hoskins play left field. And this is the worst part about twenty nineteen. Is that why yeah. that
1: he that he played first again? That he only played first. Come on. I think I think Johnny would be all for the plan of moving Bohm to first and Reese back out to left field this season.
0: All in, baby. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know how that would work. <laughs> it would
1: it would not maximize your value, but it would no. maximize your entertainment value. Yes. Uh,
0: that's I, listen, that's what it's about. Like if the Phillies aren't winning, at least entertain me and <laughs> I would say it's more likely than not that. Unless they have a great offseason, the Phillies, I don't know, third or fourth place team still. But that's off topic. Uh, I had something to ask about Boehm. What was it? Oh, if, if, if they see him as the, the everyday third baseman moving forward, do you guys think they'll manipulate his service time? Or do you think he'll be up the beginning of the year?
1: I I think that if they think he's good enough to start opening day as a good spring, I think they'll call him right up. Um with the, like, like make the opening day roster because of how the new CBA might get rid of that kind of stuff or touch that up, and I, and I, uh, you've seen it a lot, Tatis, uh, Alonzo last season came right up, Um, so I I think they'd bring him right up, and and maybe they, you know, maybe they they do it, but I, I don't think that they would hold him back if, if they're trying to compete, I think they'd put their best third baseman out there on opening day. Brad yeah, Billy. I
2: I would agree with you, Ty. I think I think the only way he's not up to start at the beginning of the year is if they make either a big move in free agency, which I don't think is likely, or B, they think that in spring training that he needs to not necessarily for a service time issue, but I think more or less for a they want to get him more comfortable playing third base or seeing some um some pitching at the triple a level, you know, he, you know, he moved up so quickly last year and he, you know, he still killed double a, but he had a point where he dipped a little bit in double a, but he eventually even back out and, you know, finished strong at the end of the season. And he's also been playing baseball. You know, he came in early last spring. Um, It's just a timeline. He came in early last spring. He played in, um, he started, he think he started in Lakewood last year, moved up quickly to, um, clear water and then finish the year the, and so most of the year and finish the year in Redding. So he, and then he's been playing in uh, the Arizona fall league, um, USA nationals. Um, and then I don't know what he's doing now, but they've, they've worked him consistently. He could, you know, start spring training off a little bit slow. Um, just they might like hold him back a little bit just to make sure he's not going to get hurt or, you know, Give him a little bit of a break because he's been playing baseball almost nonstop for um, since pretty much
1: February. So that's a that's a long time to be. He he went into spring training really early too. This yeah yeah that's what
2: I was saying. He he went in early specifically to work on the on defense and stuff like that. And he was out there in Florida grinding doing that. So yeah, he he's been like these guys are are working they're working their tail off out there to get better. And and I think again, like you said, Ty, I I don't think the service time thing is going to be an issue with the new CBA. And if he's the best guy, he'll he'll make the squad out, out of spring training. Johnny um, did I,
1: Johnny did you sneak in a Brad Miller as the best third baseman on the team right before Matt started talking?
0: I did, but <laughs> unfortunately he's not he's not on the team right now. But can only hope.
1: I think they bring him back. Uh, Matt, what do you have to say about that? Me and Johnny. We're both very high on Brad Miller, and we both think the Phillies should bring him back and will bring him back, at least hopefully. <laughs> Do you have a, any Brad yeah. Miller takes?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, as a uh, as a fan of both of your podcasts, I, I've I'm very aware of your um, Brad Miller um, <laughs> takes here. So uh, yeah, no, I, I like Brad. I think he he was a good a- a addition this past year, and I thought he you know contribute a little bit. Um, you know, he's a he's a he's flexible, can play different positions what was that bamboo yeah ban- yeah and and the bamboo the bamboo plant was was a great great uh run for a few games um <laughs> but uh yeah no i think i think in, in reality he he's someone that you know they could probably bring back on like a one you know maybe two year deal pretty cheap i think you know he's someone at this point in his career you know he's either going to be bouncing around a lot or if he can you know get some uh, so, uh stability at some point in this uh he he might take it, and I think he fit in well with the clubhouse and the culture there. And you know, gotta respect the guy that goes out there and um, doesn't rock batting gloves. Every oh, we then, so. we love guys who don't wear batting gloves. Yeah.
0: It's the best. I bring back Justin Bohr. That's all I'm. Saying.
2: <laughs> no, he he went over to uh, Japan or Korea. Yeah, or I saw somewhere.
0: that. Listen, if you either you either uh, die a Philly's first baseman or end up somewhere in Asia, Darren Ruff, Tommy Joseph, Justin Bour, Reese, Reese Hoskins, Reese Hoskins.
1: I, don't, know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't,
2: know. Don't, don't jinx the man now.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, all right, I think this is I think this is a good time for us to segue into <laughs> into us talking about uh, you know, Monday's non-tender uh deadline 8 p.m. on Monday night each team had to decide who they were going to Tender or non-tender for next season. The Phillies, as always, announced everything right at 8 o'clock because they want to torture everyone who follows or covers them. Uh, So it was announced that the Phillies have uh, non-tendered Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez, both big faces of the Phillies' rebuild that may or may not have worked, depending who you asked. Um... But yeah, what do you guys, what do you guys have to say about Franco and and Cesar being gone?
0: You know, Franco one more year. Could have been MVP, yeah. You
1: know? Dark horse That's... MVP candidate. Mike Schmidt said that he has what it takes to become yeah. an MVP. Not prepare. once, That's not a twice
2: in baseball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, Michael Franco had the second most intentional walks in baseball this year. More than Mike Trout. <laughs>
1: But he had Bonds. He had know. Bonds level intentional, intentional walks,
0: for real. I don't know. <laughs> really makes you think. No, I mean, in seriousness, it was the right move for both guys. Uh, Cesar is fine, but at what was it? Eleven point eight million. Yeah, that's, that's what just,
1: trade rumors predicted. That's believe. just
0: too much money. Uh, I think Gene Segura is a better hitter than Cesar Hernandez. So if you're planning on sliding Segura over and signing Gregorius for a little more than 11.8 million in AAV. Then I just think that's the the smarter move there. Uh, and then for Franco, it was just
1: time. Um, but maybe maybe the next team will find the key, as Andy McPhail <laughs> said last season. Yeah. Matt, yeah. do you have anything to say about the uh, the non-tenders from this yeah. season? Yeah, I, I mean it was inevitable.
2: I mean like no one was going to trade for Cesar at that price tag. So they, you know, they probably, they, they're probably pulling out hope that someone might give them someone, a body. I don't know. Um, and Franco, you know, I was as high as anyone on him when, cause I, he was, there was dark times a couple years ago and um, you know, I thought he was the light, but obviously not. He just never could fix the two parts of his offensive game that have plagued him And, You know, I'm sure he'll go to a team, probably a rebuilding team. Anyone from any one of these guys from Baltimore, Kansas City, I don't know. Someone will take a shot on him and maybe with a new hitting, hitting coach coordinator, they can unlock what is clearly in there, which is some, you know, raw power and, um, you know, potentially a good hitter. But he just he can never get over rolling over a ground ball and not elevating it at the right time. And, you know he'll he'll get his shot somewhere and Cesar will be on a team but just probably like a rotational starter at best but definitely not for what was projected at 11 million dollars that just wasn't going to happen here
1: yeah the thing with Franco is you know a lot of people have said maybe you know another team will figure him out but he's also had several different coaching regimes in here in his time and none of them were able to help him figure it out um I've I've been, uh, I've been following Franco since 2013 when he was in A. Him and Jesse Biddle headlined that, that running team, and I, I went to a lot of games that season. And I liked Franco specifically because he, well, one, he hit a lot of home runs, and two, he slid into, head, uh, slid into first head first on ground balls yeah. all the time, <laughs> and I thought that was really fun. It's not the smart play, but it's certainly entertaining. And you know he hits a lot of ground balls, so he had plenty of them to try to do it on. <laughs> so, so it, it's unfortunate to see that he was not able to really figure it out with the Phillies. Um, but until he stops hitting, you know, like forty nine percent ground balls, he's just not going to be a good major league player.
0: Well, you know, you know who's got a hole at third base. Who's that? The Atlanta Braves. Are you ready to face Michael Franco 19 times oh, a year? Oh, 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 oh. He'll go yard like 14 times. <laughs> I know. Oh, could
1: you imagine? Uh, Michael no.
0: Franco would own Aaron Nola. I'm on the record saying that Michael Franco would own
2: him. Wouldn't that be just like the absolute, just like the worst, worst? thing? Yeah. <laughs> you, you just you just see this guy that you clearly know hasn't had it for years, and then he'll go on a rival team, and then. Just absolutely just shell. I can see it happening for the Mets too. Like they do something stupid like trade JD Davis and they're like, oh, we got a whole third base
1: now. Let's get the let's get
2: Michael Franco in here.
1: If Franco <laughs> if Franco were to own Aaron Nola, it would vindicate Pete uh Pete McCannon. That yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Because you get owned by Mike Alfranco. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, Michael Franco. Listen, Michael.
0: Say what you want about Mike but he owned a lot of aces in his time. He hit Scherzer so much. I was like, no one in this lineup could ever hit Max Scherzer except for Mike Elfranco.
1: Mike Elfranco and Odubo Herrera right. will probably not be on the team next season, but he also did own Max Scherzer for some reason. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, kind of playing off that, who do you guys think may be candidates to... Uh, fill second base or third base, uh, next season. Uh, e- and if they go with somebody in house, who do you think they might pick up? Uh, maybe for a bench spot to kind of take up that roster spot.
0: Um, I, I don't know. I mean, guys we've talked about just like moving Segura to second and, and Gregorius at short. I don't know if they would... Would they sign Donaldson? Like, they've been linked to Donaldson. Are they going to sign Donaldson? Because he's projected to get, like, $25 million a year. And if they don't want to go over the tax, that wouldn't really be smart. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it, if you're asking about lesser, like, just, like, guys, bench guys, I mean, Brad Miller, third base. Um, we've talked about uh, Scooter Jeanette, a uh, potential guy plugging at second every once in a while. Um Travis Shaw was a uh, non-tender, so that's that's a guy to look at. He could probably play every day. Not that you would want him to play every day, but he could probably um, be a stopgap at third. Um, I don't know. Those are just a few names.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, Johnny. I was gonna. You literally took Shaw right out of my mouth there. He was a guy that I. He was. I looked at him as potentially someone you could trade for uh, last year the deadline because they had you know uh, the Brewers that has had so many just middle like corner infielders and playing it just weird positions all over the place. And um, he was someone that was struggling mightily last year. I think part of it was due to injury. Um, and I think, but only, only two or three, it was a year or two ago. I forget when he was almost like a seven war player at some point. If I was, if I'm not mistaken, he, he had some serious pop um, and he could be someone you take a flyer on. He. He's someone like um, how I think we mentioned earlier, like D.D. Rory is taking a one year deal. He is someone that will definitely take a one year deal to rebuild stock. And I could totally see them again, maybe signing someone like Shaw, hoping that, you know, if you get some of that home run power back, um, he could be someone that plays third base, can back up first base, give you some stopgap time for Boehm, And then, um, you know, eventually, you know, be relegated to the bench or even, you know, he can I think he played second I forget. He played a I know he played third and maybe second last year too. I know they were experimenting with him and Mustakas a little bit, but you know, I, I know uh Ty had sent about the non tender candidates yesterday. And I think it, between Shaw and Blake Shrinen were my top guys that are now free agents, and then um intermix there, you had your 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 pick of like Aaron Sanchez and Taiwan Walker, Kevin Pilar, um, those type of guys. Um, could round out some either back end of the rotation or uh, bullpen and potentially play center field. But um, I think uh, more or less, I I think Segura at this point should be. A, I I don't want to say a foregone conclusion, but if I were doing running things, I would be moving him to second. He he can't. He was so horrible defensively last year, and I think he's only going to get worse. Um, and then my and then if you sign Didi. My personal preference were to be playing uh, um, Kingery in center field, um, you yeah. know, maybe platooning in with Hazley, depending whether or not they move Hazley in some sort of deal. Um, he can also play third base a little bit platoon, too, so that could help on a night um, to give, like, if you were to bring in, like, a stopgap guy, a guy off who's, if he's struggling or whatnot. But, yeah, that's kind of my kind of targets I'm looking at from between guys that were non-tendered yesterday and, just in general like a kind of outline but there's there's plenty of middle infield help out there that can you know stop gap and you know help in that respect
1: yeah we uh just going off of that johnny what are your uh your non-tender candidates that you think the phillies should go after the most
0: you know matt mentioned the the one that sticks out to me the most blake trinan um i just think he's a Excellent bounce-back candidate, and that's apparently what they're looking for in a reliever. So he's the guy. Um, a guy like Tywin Walker intrigues me as a guy to, you know, just try out. Not you're not a guy you're going to count on, but just add his depth or, or uh, you know, potential higher ceiling uh, a guy. But other than that, I mean, there, there are a bunch of names, but, you know, Kevin Pillar, who, I don't know if you know this, but got more MVP votes than Bryce Harper, so... Might have to lock him up for 13 or 14 years, but...
1: Give him that 15-year deal that the Phillies tried to give Harper. Yeah.
0: Didn't they offer him a 20-year deal?
1: I don't know. Didn't I it, saw, didn't I saw 15. Didn't start at
0: 20 for 330, and then they were like, oh, this might be perceived as deferred money, because that's basically what it is. Um.
1: Then, I don't know. I know that 15 was definitely on the table, though. Yeah.
0: yeah I don't know. It was in the, the galb article from... Went
1: down. I, whatever, like give Pilar all of that and more. 21-year <laughs> deal. Um, no, anyway, I I agree with most of what you just said. I'm in on Trinan, especially if they can't get Dylan Uh I think Trinan would be a guy to go for. Um, Pilar would be interesting depending on uh, what they want to do in center field. Uh, Matt said earlier he thinks Kingery uh, should be the guy. I I would not be opposed to that uh, either, but maybe Pilar uh, could be a candidate to play out there if the Phillies want Scott Kingery to be in the infield. So that's kind of what I have there. Um, ra- before we wrap this episode up, uh, you know, if, if you are a huge Phillies Nation podcast fan, you will have obviously listened to our bonus episode yesterday. Um, or that we recorded Monday in the afternoon because the Phillies made their biggest move of the offseason already. They avoided arbitration with Andrew Knapp, which is great. Um, I I think that it's good that they avoided arbitration because you wouldn't want the Phillies trying to lower Knapp's price by going into arbitration and pointing out all the bad things about him, (laughs) making them feel bad. I I don't think that would be a good process. (laughs) It would not be good to you know point at his around 200 batting average and say that is why he shouldn't make a lot of money you know that's not good for that's not good for his confidence or anything so it is good they avoided avoided arbitration and i want to know what matt thinks about this deal that the phillies made uh with andrew knapp if i could um
2: if i could have like a a shrug of the shoulders like kind of thing like if this is like a visual like if you're like eh, like it, it is what it is you know what i mean um, I think you guys made good points yesterday on your emergency pod for him. You know, I think he is what he is. Um, he's, he's not, he's not the best hitter. We all know that. I think the, he has a good familiarity with the pitching staff. I still think maybe going out and getting a guy would be, you know, a, a third catcher that isn't Debbie Grion. Um, you know, some of them more experienced and that way you can maybe have nap go down and go down to Lehigh Valley and get some solid at-bats and whatnot. And the fact that, you know, the bench will be a little bit deeper next year is going to only help, you know, make sure that he isn't relied upon in a big situation. But, I mean, if he keeps that stash and, you know, keeps the pitching staff happy, I mean, that's all you can ask for a guy for $710,000 and what he settled for in arbitration. And, you know, hopefully the best. And, I mean, if this account doesn't get – if you guys don't get a – Andrew Knapp interview, it's going to be very disappointing.
1: (laughs) On on that (laughs) note, note, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. We definitely want to give Matt a big thanks uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, We had a really good time recording this episode. A lot of good insight on the winter meetings. Uh, So once again, thank you, Matt, for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank thank you. Thanks, Ty, and thanks, uh, thanks, Johnny, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, hopefully we can talk again soon sometime after the meetings and hopefully get some good signings out here, get some th- more stuff to talk about.
1: Yeah, uh, looking, looking forward to talking to you again. Once again, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, for myself and Johnny, we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all
2: streaming services.